Jason, welcome back to the World XP Podcast. This is episode number 14. Mm -hmm. um, you're the first repeat guest. So that's an honor. Yeah, so here we so here we are. We're just um one of the things that we've been talking about before is there's this documentary series on on PB, PBS. Yeah. Uh, it's called not free. <laughs> Well, we can put a uh, a link to where I watched it, some small YouTube channel. Um, we'll put a link to that in the description, but it's called um, America after Re or America during Reconstruction or something like that. Is that correct? It's like Reconstruction America story. It hasn't told. It'll be it'll be in the in the link or in the description. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that we were talking about right now, just before we just before we started recording, was um, how to teach it, um, and and the reason the reason being for that is, at least from from my perspective the history to get to get the true picture of what of what really happened during reconstruction and and during the um that sort of time like of slavery and then leading into to where we are now the history of of the black community is really a nuanced um nuanced and complicated history in a, in a good way um and so i would say it definitely needs to get taught in schools. I think, I think we definitely agree on that. Um, but the question that I had raised to you was how to uh, teach that the standards of today are not mm -hmm. the same as the standards that people held uh, themselves to back during the 1860s and 70s mm -hmm. from the perspective of uh, a kid. Um, mm -hmm. The reason being for that is you always have a kid who's a little bit perceptive and will ask a, what seems to be a very obvious question to the kid, mm -hmm. but in reality have a very complicated answer. So like you're in a public place and the kid's like, well, like, why is that lady fat? Or like, like something, something like that, right? Where it's almost like it seems so obvious to the kid. Mm -hmm. um, and so in this case, it would be like, why was it okay to kill black people? Because the world that they live in now, that's not okay, but it's the same country. Mm -hmm. um, and to actually really get, get the answer across, I think is a little bit more complicated than, than, than you would think at first glance, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're, so you're, kind of started the answer and then we were like let's just get started because this is yeah. a good, good discussion so we can start from there yeah so the question we were discussing right before we began recording was how do you teach the actual true history of the country especially what happened right after the civil war with reconstruction um and it was proposed in the idea of a high school curriculum but we can tackle both high school and collegiate um but for high school first and foremost it kind of would have to be on teachers it would have to be something the teacher is already aware of. Um, and with our education system today, you know, especially if they're a product of our modern day education system, they just kind of went through high school, went to college, maybe gotten their master's. I think a master's is required now um, for teaching in high school. Um, they would have to at least be aware of the truth of what happened during Reconstruction, what happened sure. after, the, after the Civil War. So it would stem from there first. But let's say, you know, I'll put myself in that, in that position. And try and think of if I was the teacher, how would I formulate that curriculum? First thing I would have to do, and this is something that we talked about um, with Jenna, was reading because just the time frame that high school has, reading uh, additional stuff 
And since it's the 21st century, providing visual stuff. Um, so mm. today, this documentary would definitely be something that I would recommend students to watch. Um, on top of that, just kind of do their own research. Um, or not even, not, excuse me, not do their own research, but provide research that's been done that kind of fully, you know, in text that supports and pretty much validates everything that's been found in mm-hmm. that documentary. So if you have any, you know, documents that said this happened, like one of, I think, the things that it talks about in the documentary is the only coup d'etat that happened on our soil was, I think, in North Carolina. Wilmington. Yeah, I, w- Wilmington. I, wanted, I wanted to bring that up to you later. That, yeah. was one of, that was one of the parts of the documentary that made my blood boil. Was, yeah, so stuff like that, like having actual, you know, actual text evidence of it happened, but what, would, what, would, what did the people who took control um, and killed the people who were in power, when they took control and took power, what is it that they said happened? Because it says in the documentary it was a race riot. It was yeah. Right. And history can tell based on true documentation of what actually happened that it that just wasn't the case. Um, but definitely you kind of have to you kind of have to just tell the truth. These mm-hmm. things are really hard, especially for a high schooler. I definitely think you probably it would be tough to talk to some high schoolers um, about this, but not telling them would do a, a disservice rather than helping them. Trying to, you know, avoid having that conversation doesn't help anyone, because if you continue to go on and live your life thinking, oh, that could never happen in this country yet it did, you then have to try and peel back either, you know, decades or years of just knowledge that you put on top of that and be like, well, this is now shaped the way I see this. This is how shaped the way I see Black people in business or Black people in politics. You have to understand that there's already been, there's already a history between Black people in politics, Black people trying to just live their life, trying to own land, trying to own business. That's already been gone through during Reconstruction. Right. And it'd be difficult. Um, especially for high school, because we've all been to high school, at least at this age. Yeah. I I want to run something by you real quick, though. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's from the standpoint of of Black History Month as a a thing. I almost feel, and and you could tell me if I'm way off base, but I feel like Mm -hmm. that does a disservice to actually teaching it. Because if then, like if you have this month, so if it were me, Mm-hmm. designing the curriculum right you just go chronologically as you would mm-hmm. but you wouldn't have to have this month where you just stop and only talk like ideally you'd mm-hmm. have it woven into american history because it's a mm-hmm. part of that mm-hmm. i don't like and so you'd have like i remember what part of the year did you get do do you get to the civil war like i don't know it was, it like, was over uh, i think it was over a year or two or a period yeah so it would, you'd start like with like for a U.S. history class, you kind of start with Jamestown and that's mm-hmm. like, and you'd get to like the Revolutionary War-ish at the end of the first quarter. I should probably mm-hmm. have asked a teacher before I, before I started saying this. <laughs> um, and then you get to the Civil War, I think around Christmas, before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Because then the the spring is like Industrial Revolution, World War One, World War Two, Cold War. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> SOLs and movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I think it would be important to have like your history of reconstruction because the way that I remember it would be you'd go up to 1877 mm. when the end of reconstruction was and then mm. you'd skip to kind of like Ellis Island and immigrants industrial revolution mm. world war one mm. and this that that part of what happened between 1877 and sort of 1890 um 1895 ish kind of just doesn't get taught on purpose is intentional like yeah and so from documentary there was reasons that a lot of what was went on what went on during that time has been kind of pushed under the rug 
Oh, right, 100%. And so yeah. that needs to get, I feel like to, to do that, you almost need to just get rid of that. Because I feel like I remember thinking back on that, like February, like learning that month was just like, it felt weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it was one of those things where, and, and again, maybe this is me not understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was almost just like, why don't we just learn about this in chronological order with the rest of American history? Mm-hmm. Not because I, I didn't feel like it was bad that it was getting singled out in, in mm-hmm. sort of the, let me search for the right words here. I didn't feel like it was getting singled out in a positive way. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. like, I didn't feel like that month was like, let's shine a spotlight on this. I felt like mm-hmm. that month was like, somebody told you you had to do it mm-hmm. to like, for whatever reason. And you're kind of half-assing it because mm-hmm. you're like, here's four facts about Rosa Parks and mm-hmm. Martin Luther King and Booker T. Washington mm-hmm. and Frederick Douglass. And then you just continue on. It's like, well, why aren't we learning about that stuff in the time period that they were mm-hmm. actually active? And that never yeah. made, that never made sense to me. Um, just from a, even just now, just like from a learning perspective, because then you put stuff out of order. And if you're teaching some, somebody something in chronological order, and then you mm-hmm. teach them a bunch of stuff out of order, it separates it in a way that makes it seem like it's not part of what happened mm-hmm. to me, to me anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, so I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but like, mm-hmm. there needs Mine, to I would, I would say it's a good thing. And almost, I would say a bad thing, but it's a good thing. Because, you know, without it, would it actually be told the correct way in a sense? So you're saying like, you know, someone was forced to get to, to make it the month, so we made it the month. So my argument is based off the caveat that it would be taught, like it would actually be taught in the timeline mm-hmm. correctly. Like if it was taught, I feel like we don't have a need for, for that. Mm-hmm. So you're saying like the standard school from like August to June, August to May school year. Yeah, if you I teach to, like, like the teach correct it. stuff in the chronological like, if you actually teach the reconstruction stuff like like is what is in the documentary and you actually teach what frederick mm-hmm. douglas and wb du bois did and rosa parks if you actually teach what they did in their correct time period then mm-hmm. i feel like you don't need then there's no need to make it weird almost mm-hmm. i would have to say in that in if you have a whole year time frame um to make it a thorough as thorough as you possibly can get it, a complete understanding and knowledge of the history, you're going to have to break it up. And you're going to have to, and high schoolers don't do this. We just, we talked about this before we started, but they don't, you know, reading is not the number one thing that high schoolers do. You're not going to be able to teach. You can find, you know, compiled videos, compiled documentaries, or just things that you can visually take up a class and kind of cover a whole sector. Like, mm-hmm about this this could be four classes in high school you get about an hour 15 hour and a half of classes in high school this could be four days throughout yeah. and you have now just learned of a, an entire period yeah um, is it the full complete story um probably not there's probably information that may not ever be dug up just because yeah. it's so deeply um but you're, you're you're getting a pretty thorough and comprehensive understanding of okay this is this is what's common of what happened even if there is a documentation of it in a documentary mm-hmm. The, how you said, like, how, you know, how could you think of something like this back in the day when you don't do it now? Well, if you're back in the day, this probably wasn't anything of a surprise because it was probably happening all over the South, all over the country. Um, so getting a full understanding, you, you're going to have to do additional or su- a supplemental um, in, uh, information. Um, sure. 
But as, time, as far as timeline goes, um, the story of the Black person, Black people in this country isn't something that you can, as you said, you can't strap it down to one month. Um, and even if it was in chronological order, you would have to continuously, it would, it, like it's, this is the weirdest dichotomy that history and education has created about this country. As if the Black experience of the Black story in America is somehow separated from the story of America. It's not at all. I, I, I don't understand why they did that. It, I mean, it's, it's intentional. They tried, I mean, you have got to understand that the entire political... Let me, let me rephrase. I understand why, mm-hmm. but like... It's hard if, to comprehend why, in a sense. Yeah, like, yeah, for, yeah. Some, in, for some, it probably isn't, isn't hard because, you know, they may either be in a, a system or a financial class where they just don't really care and they never have never had to. Um, but you, you cannot tell the full, complete story of this country without having the story of the Black person in, in this country told. From the from the beginning, literally, I won't say from the beginning, not from like 1690, but the, the moment that slaves were brought to America, the course of this country was changed forever. Mm-hmm. Then created an entire society, not only governmentally, but financially, socially, built upon the idea that there is now a group of people in this country that you can then abuse for labor and who are second class to you. Therefore, no matter how bad you feel, you can be the poorest of the poor, the farmer wherever you are, but you will always know that there is a black person that you can say you are better than that simply because you're white. Mm-hmm. And having that, it, that you can't create a society, you know, built upon that without that leaving something in its history, without that leaving some, you know, generational feelings, generational attitudes down the line to where we are today, you know? So I forget, I think the question was still how to incorporate it into school. So definitely in trying to incorporate it into high school, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do supplemental information. It can't just be, you know, what the, you can have the state create your guidelines, at least here in Virginia from where we are, you can have mm-hmm. the state create your guidelines. Um, but you're going to have, if you're looking for the complete education of the students that you're taking care of, you're going to have to do extra information and extra legwork to make sure that they go into the next grade or they go out into their lives understanding a thorough and complete understanding of the history. Um, as far as college goes, we're, you know, we're kind of fortunate enough to have the electives. Mm-hmm. As you said, you took a, a bunch of electives where you kind of learned a lot of the information. But for some students, like you said, it's an elective. Mm-hmm. The gen ed one, at least in Mary Washington, was the 18. It was like... There were two. It was like split up. It was like U.S. Yeah. history to 1865 yeah, and, up until 1865, and then 1865 to present. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, that, like you said, it, it kind of, you know, finishes out the Civil War, kind of touches on Reconstruction and it goes into Industrial Revolution and then everything else that moves forward. Yeah. But for the simple fact that if it's not told in high school and if the gen ed education isn't telling the full complete story, the elective needs to be centered around what has happened to the black people in this country. Mm-hmm. That's something that um, is starting to be pushed for Mary Washington, probably be, has been, been, been put for. Mm-hmm. Um, before my time there, and now that I'm trying to actually in that push, I can now see, you know, people, are, it's, it's trying to become like a ground from the ground up thing. And people have been, it, it needs, it's, it's required necessity at this point. Um, because you're missing out on such a big portion of information and such a big um, access to, you know, the experience of some, literally half, not half, but a good portion of people in this country that their ancestors have experienced in creating the country that everyone is able to benefit from today. Yeah. I think this is, yeah, it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a tough one. I, I think from, from the standpoint of 
how do you get that pushed into um, how you get that pushed into education without I don't want to say without doing anything, but hmm. I, but Steve, you're gonna have to do something. That's yeah, you're you're gonna have to like overhaul. If you, it, the thing about it is, if you want to make it a priority, it's gonna take overhaul. You know, it's gonna take an overhaul and a generation or two after it's before it like before it ha before like people actually understand what happened because i think if you went and asked like the average person about we'll use the documentary as an example again i think most people would say like mm, i don't know i had no idea because that period from 18 1865 to like 1914 mm, it was, was like, like 1898 before before like the uh jim crow era kind of kicked in it was like 1898 19. yeah but i'm saying that from 1865 to 1914 is glossed mm. over mm. in almost every history class i've i've taken mm. except maybe sometimes they talk about the spanish-american war mm. and that's it and that's like 1898 and then they talk about some ellis island stuff and mm. like that's it so but even then to make it it's like it's just an incomplete telling of of, of history to be honest mm -hmm. and you need so i think i don't know this is one of this is one of the podcasts where we had no plan coming in we were just going to talk <laughs> so but it's good um so i think that what's what's interesting about history from from the standpoint of this history itself not necessarily mm -hmm. um what's taught in school because most of the things that are taught in school regardless of subject are, in, are incomplete anyways it's like it's like how do you how do you pass this, the test that gets you to the next grade mm -hmm. and then how do you essentially and then how do you pass the test that gets you into college mm -hmm. and then that's it like it doesn't actually matter what you learn as long as you can pass the test mm -hmm. which is just it's it's just a, a like how our education system has ended up at this place is beyond me because it's not actually like, yeah, it just teaches you what you need to pass to, like, the people that have decided that that's what you need to know to pass the test, like, mm. that qualifies you as educated. It's like a very, like, who, who makes those decisions? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I don't know, that's, that's definitely a broader education question mm. um, for not just pertaining to Black history, but school in general. Yeah. Um, and that agenda, was kind of like, yeah, and that will agenda or just who, because like, if you have somebody who got that job, just because mm. they know somebody, mm. and they're not qualified anyways, they might not even have an agenda, they might just be bad at their job. Mm. And that's not good either. Yeah. Obviously, but that, it kind of goes back to like, when universities were first founded back in like, you, you think about like, ancient Rome like and stuff. Minute. There. Yeah, You're but old. that's that's what those were for. It wasn't to mm. pass a test. It was to learn. It was to learn. Like if if you were to, if you were in university in like in Europe or like ancient Rome or Greece, like you you were you were supposed to learn about like the math of the time or the, the science of the time or the history that like there was no. It was just like or like philosophy or like even when like UVA was founded or William and Mary or any of those like harvard cambridge it was never like you need this test to get in or you need mm -hmm. this standardized it was like the point was to teach mm -hmm. i feel like we've lost a lot of that 
mm-hmm. in this sort of um, public education system that we're in because in an effort to standardize everyone because you, because you need a degree to get a job mm. and people right it makes sense you want everybody to have access to to that higher education but at the same time then you need to un, then you need to standardize stuff so somebody from California who wants to come here yeah. like the the tests are like the same so mm. and what that does is it lowers the standards of what each like what you need almost and it does a disservice i think yeah especially for like students who learn different ways um the idea of standardized standardized tests in itself is kind of you know someone creates the standard and says either you can pass this bar or not dictates if you're educated quote-unquote educated or not and if you can you know get 1400 on your sat you can then make it into school because you're that educated enough Mm -hmm. in reality you can have someone who's probably one of the most creative people to walk this earth who cannot pass an SAT, who don't actually even need a formal education who can go on. And that's one thing about um, the idea of entrepreneurs, just not you, like you don't, in the, in the digital age, especially today, and this kind of advances the, t- the topic a little bit, you don't really need a degree unless you're trying to get like a nine to five job. If you have the drive and this is- Or like, to become a teacher or a professor. Or to become a teacher, because honestly, what, what do you do when you become a teacher or professor? You assign, you assign things to learn. Yeah. Most teachers are given, you know, um, I forget exactly what it's called, but they have like their curriculum that they need to achieve by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And have had their way that they can like uh, um, apply that. But at the end of the day, a teacher is supposed to teach you things. A degree doesn't say that you've learned it. That just means you passed the test to say that you learned. You know, I mean, even looking look at look, look at schooling today. You know, with a lot of students going back virtually, a lot of you can find half of the things online. I forget which which website was the biggest like common website um in college where you can just find a bunch of answers to like multiple choice quizzes well, like quizlet and stuff quizlet yeah exactly so like imagine how many students are you know going into their either senior year or starting out uh high school or college and that's the education that they're getting it's like i guarantee so many questions are being utilized on quizlet um and even if they weren't there they're probably being created so that way students who are coming across those questions can now find it so you can avoid all of that Figure out, you know, from A to Z, everything about a specific subject and become way more educated than even the person who may be teaching that subject mm-hmm. degree without getting any type of formal, formal education. Um, yeah, I've, I've done that myself, to be honest. I'll get in like, I get in these moods where like, I'm super obsessed with like one subject for like a month and I'll just mm-hmm. Google everything and like watch YouTube videos and read articles and, and do all sorts of stuff. Like I did that with uh, game theory for like three weeks. And it's like, a, like, it's crazy. I, like, I had never even heard of it. I just, it just popped up on YouTube one day. And then the same thing with this documentary about black history. It's like, let me just binge watch all of these episodes and Google a bunch of other stuff. And like some of the people's names that were in there that I hadn't heard before. I went and Googled them, see like what they did and like in their life and stuff. And I feel like I've learned more practical things anyways mm-hmm. than when I did in, in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, man, it's just, it's weird. It's like, it, it also takes a certain type of maturity, I think as well. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in high school or middle school, probably more high school. It's like, I didn't mm-hmm. want to, I didn't want to learn. I didn't want to be there. But now that like when I can learn on my own, I'm I'm curious naturally, mm-hmm. and so I went. I'll go teach myself like 
oh, how, how do stocks work, mm-hmm. right? Like, how do, I don't know, like I went and read On Liberty by John Stuart Mill, where he lays out basically, um, he, he's, it's like three chapters when I'm mm-hmm. on the second one. And the, and the first one he talks about basically like, you can break down the influence on a person to um, like government influence, individual responsibility and societal mm-hmm. influence. And you can mm-hmm. pretty much break it down in, into those three things. And then what is the optimal balance for those three? And then the second, one of the chapters is like the importance of free speech. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, but like who decides what makes you educated? Mm-hmm. Like, well, who decides what free speech, like what, what free speech is. And that's why that's the argument for why you should touch it as little as possible mm-hmm. because eventually somebody's going to come along where and change it. And, change it. and so mm-hmm. the idea would be that, in the society like the societal marketplace will regulate speech it's like you and i both know there's things that we can't say but it's not outlawed that we can't say those things it's like the taboo it's society and that's how that's the it's like for something like that you want the societal influence to be Mm -hmm. the number one influence on that sort of thing rather Mm -hmm. than it be written into law Mm. because times change as we've seen through with American history, right? hundred years ago, it was totally acceptable to like do horrible things to black people because they were black and now mm. it is not mm. well less so, mm. but a lot of that, even though it's written into law, right? Mm. 13, 14, 15th amendments, mm. you need that societal influence to come along with it. Mm. And so I'm kind of rambling at this point, but, <laughs> but what do you have? All right. So when you, when you talk about like society having the, the influence over, you know, kind of what's appropriate, what is allowed in a mm-hmm. sense. Um, and I guess bringing it back to the topic of um, this discussion that we were having, um, the idea that a lot of the stuff was societally allowed um, has, has some truth and also has some who took the reins of control and who was in control and who was there to enforce what the law had said. Um, so this kind of goes back to both the coup that we had talked about in Wilmington, um, as well as the, the KKK trials that went on um, later on. I forget which year. I think that was in like the early, early 1900s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, th- I, I think so as well. Um, but the fact that you can you can say, you know, society can bring up all these issues. The people that you talk to can bring up all these issues. Um, points that, you know, have factual evidence. This person did that at this time, at this location. It all depends on who's in power to then enforce the law that says that whatever was done shouldn't be done. Ooh, excuse me. Like, back then, the idea that you could, in a sense, it was illegal. Murder is illegal, period. Mm-hmm. You know, those who enforce whether murder is illegal or not, we're probably the same people who are getting involved in, in the violent act against violent acts against black people. Right. So not necessarily that society was saying they could, but the fact that society says you shouldn't, but there's people who are in power who don't care what society says. That's where cool. there's laws on the books that say. Yeah. So it's kind of like the legal side of it is like not allowed, but you need to have all three of those things. So from an individual responsibility standpoint, they were like, yeah, that's okay. We can do that they were in power at that time. So from, even though the law on the books, like the legislation said you couldn't do it, Mm -hmm. two of the three were not, didn't agree. 
And so mm-hmm. that's why it was deemed okay. But I think what I was trying to get at was it depends on what the thing is for what the mm-hmm. optimal balance should be. So like for free speech is like government should be least involved and it needs to be mm-hmm. individual responsibility in, in society. And mm-hmm. so for something like, like the, like lynching or killing of a black person back in that time, you would need way more government influence like you did during reconstruction when they had um, the military uh, governors and the federal troops down there preventing mm-hmm. those sort of things from, or at least trying to prevent those sort of things from happening from 1865 mm-hmm. to 1877. So I think where I was going to go with that was, education mm-hmm. i'm not sure what the right the optimal balance of that is mm-hmm. because i think as we've discussed like who decides whether or not you're educated mm-hmm. i think we can probably agree that there needs to be some sort of government influence but i think probably not a lot mm-hmm. and then where's the rest of that responsibility fall or is it society or is it individual and i'm not really sure the answer to that because different people learn in different ways yeah so you can't really have society say what the best way to learn or what dictates someone who has learned enough information right you know let's say nine people learn based on reading and one learns based on visual or hearing you know nine people in society are saying hey you can't learn this way you're not you're not qualified mm-hmm. and often you don't know either like when you're a kid you don't know yeah especially in, like we were talking about in high school like it, it's hard to try especially trying to teach these type of discussions um to people at that young of an age is like i don't they don't even know fully themselves yet exactly how they want to learn you know right. tough information or information at all and if you learn by talking like i learn a lot by talking like by having these conversations like with you i learned a ton mm-hmm. but how many discussion-based classes did you have in high school i think probably yeah. maybe one or two if that and then in college it would be a little bit more but the thing with that is they would say okay well you need to read this thing and we're going to only talk about this thing, this mm-hmm. one thing. And so it doesn't allow for, to me anyways, exploration of, of different, like, thoughts or ideas. Like, you and I, we would never have a chance in a classroom setting to go have this conversation and learn. Because it's just not, it's just not set up for that. And so you would say, okay, well, maybe the responsibility lies on the individual. But you can't really say that either because when you're a high schooler or younger, it's like you don't know. You're not even, like you don't even know what you're gonna eat for breakfast that day. Okay. You even say, I know that I'm gonna learn about this thing. It's like you don't know that. Like you like so it's a weird one, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And society trying to create it is yeah, it's not a good because then it can always be influenced pretty much. And the idea of, how you said government should always have, kind of have a play in it. Um, one of the things to talk about in the documentary, was, I forget which company, which textbook company it was, um, but they had put labels on certain textbooks um, that had been unjust to the South. Um, granted, that was like a, it was, that was kind of like a societal group. Um, was it the Daughters of the Confederacy or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Um, but they had ties simply to the government because they were their their name, the Daughters of the American Revolution. Yeah. So having that and then having that kind of play in hand with um, financial groups and, and textbooks kind of it, it has overreaching, you know, like it does. It's hand in there where it doesn't need to be. I think it, I think it'll be a generational thing with Black mm-hmm. history. At least I think if you look at another another generation or two down the line, I think 
hopefully knock on wood <laughs> we will end up with a um with a more I hate using the term educated, not, not because it's like a bad thing, but educated based on our government's definition of educated mm. is I don't just makes me feel like icky. I like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess a more learned um, mm. society as, as a whole. So mm. you can, you can, no worries. You can educate people mm. with false information and then you can say they're educated. And that does no one any good except for whoever wants those things to be, those ideas to be out there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, one thing though, the Dollars of the Confederacy thing mm. with the statues, mm. we talked about that in our first, in the first podcast that we did. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I hadn't, I don't think I've changed my stance all that much um, from the standpoint of like the statues that they put up, like Stonewall Jackson statues and, and things of that nature, mm-hmm. I agree still that they should be taken down. They have no place here. But, um, and now that the, the slave block is gone, like I'm not like, oh, you should put it back. But like on the same token, it's like in the education spectrum of individual versus societal responsibility of like to actually know what's on there. It's like, that's one that, wasn't part of that Daughters of the Confederacy like political message type deal. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure. It, it's one of those things where I think people need to be a little bit more careful maybe um, mm-hmm. with, with what the history is behind that, that thing, mm-hmm. whether it's the slave block or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and pu- probably I think where we had a misunderstanding was Mm -hmm. my concern was not necessarily with taking the statue down is making sure that we, we take the right ones down, Mm -hmm. I guess, if if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And like to not be uh, hasty before doing it. And, and obviously I think that's probably comes from, I think that was maybe the misunderstanding. I don't don't know. Mm -hmm. I would say, I guess it was kind of yes and kind of no. Um, I, when, I, when I try and think about anything regarding to the Civil War slavery, um, I take the perspective Germany takes with it, where they don't, they don't build you know, statues of Hitler, anyone from his Reich, because mm-hmm. it, was, it, it was wrong. It was atrocious of what was done. Um, regardless of, you know, his, it, it's, it's slightly different with him because he made an international scene and America kind of kept his dirt here, you know, statewide or nationwide, I guess. Mm-hmm. It didn't intrude on anybody else. Um, so the fact that we've been arguing amongst ourselves over what we need to do with our own history, rather than have the entire world kind of looking at us, like shaming us in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. kept, you know, I don't expect other countries to know everything that went on with regarding to slavery and regarding to trying to restore the rights of black people in the country. Everyone kind of, everyone knows about the Nazis. Everyone knows what kind of went on during World War II. So yeah. then they, they kind of have zero room to try and build statues or any type of memorabilia for, for what happened under Hitler. They just teach the people, they yeah. teach the generations going forward. They tell you, hey, this is what happened, probably in more detail than we get here in America. I would, I would think, yeah. You know, trying to understand what went on societally. What did that even look like? 
you know, like imagine if the same thing they said happened, you know, the first three years or four years before he kicked things off looked like what's going on in our country now. We never know. Um, but in terms of that perspective, bringing it here, if we were to be taught and understood or even just kind of, as you said, peak our own curiosity into what it is we see rather than just have to see a monument or see a slave block and just say, oh, cool, and then keep moving. Because I guarantee not everyone who sees any of these monuments, any of these, these items that are just placed here as kind of reminders to try and teach people care to look it up. Or if they don't, they just Google it, see what it is, see who the person was and go on about their business. And they have no clue about what the backstory is. Right. But if they already knew who it was, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have to see the statue to you know, be reminded. You know, like when we, then I'm, I'm going to take, for instance, um, in Richmond. Um, and that's kind of tricky because that was the, the, the capital of the Confederacy, though. So I guess they, I guess they have a claim, a stake on that. But no, yeah. they still don't. That they one should have got. That was the Stonewall Jackson one, wasn't it? It's the Robert. Now I'm talking about the the Robert E. Lee one, the, the one in um, Monument Square. Oh fact, yeah, yeah, the big one. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it's huge. I went down there. It is, it is massive. Um, yeah, that no, that one needs to go too. Because yeah, and, and so the idea of the Confederacy itself, and this is this is I had I did a talk with um with the group out here in Culpeper about that. Um, and it's, it is so confusing because, you know, if you were to find a group today that really tried and wants, you know, wanted to go to war with and went to war with the established government today, it, they would be considered traitors. They would be, it would be treason. And not only that, you probably would get capital punishment for simply for trying to, you know, create your own coup against the country itself. Mm-hmm. Yet the idea of the Confederacy having to so hate the idea of losing the institution of slavery, the financial, social, society, whatever you want to call it, the institution of slavery itself, mm-hmm. they, fought, they picked up arms against this country, against the nation of, of America. Confuses me why people are still fantasizing and fetishing the idea of the Confederate itself. I don't, know, I don't get it either, to be when honest. You, when, you look at, when you look in terms of a, of a war and a battle, you lost. You lost. No one, no one's like, bro, go, you know, go Nazis because they, you know, they lost the war. No one is trying to pick up. Well, actually, that's a lot because you see in Charlottesville, people are still kind of in that way. But you, you know, trying to get on board with a losing, a losing side in a sense in a war confuses me when this is still the country you're in. So that's one of the things the documentary talked about. Um, I know you said you hadn't watched it in a while, but one of the things they talked about was when they went home, mm. the Confederates, anyways, they didn't teach that they lost because their cause was unjust they mm-hmm. taught that they lost just because the the union had more stuff more troops yeah, more guns. yeah bigger guns right they were like yeah our cause our cause was still good like uh they called it like the lost cause and then, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. they had like um plays about it and stuff and then they talked about it in birth of a nation um which is actually something i remember learning about in school again i don't remember which class it was but i do remember mm-hmm. learning about birth of a nation uh, with, uh, I think Woodrow Wilson played it at uh, at the White House, yep. but we didn't learn the contents of it. We learned that it was like the first big like cinema masterpiece, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't learn what it was actually about, mm-hmm. um, which the documentary goes in, and describes. Um, mm-hmm. But they they talk about it as like this lost noble cause yeah. that they just lost because they had less people, and it's like. Mm-hmm. Created a whole manifesto. Literally, his the dude I forgot what his name was, but he was a writer out of Richmond. Um, 
and he created, it's, it's literally just called The Lost Cause. It's written by the gentleman, but it's literally, it's essentially a manifesto of what the, the Confederate South was, what they believed in, and why they fought for it. Mm-hmm. And I, I forgot who I was talking to recently, but I was talking with someone about that idea that, and it turned, like, one of the words, like, the, the specific language from the documentary does talk about fantasizing about what a world, what a country would look like if the South had won. Um, and the idea of the Confederacy really didn't blow up. Like being a Confederate back in that day was not something popular. No one ran out, picked up their arms, was like, let me go fight for the Confederacy. Um, they really, people really didn't want to have to go to war with their own country over this. So the idea that it picked up steam and people kind of fantasized about what it could have been generations later, can like it, it doesn't make sense, for one, on that end. And two, the idea that you could fantasize about, one, a society that didn't happen, but a society in which you as a white person could then subject a black person and then you can continue to have slaves up into the modern era and continue to see someone as a second class citizen societally and it be okay. Like the simple idea and a lot of people don't understand that that's what the Confederacy kind of fought for. That's what they, they say it's all about heritage and then be, what it, this, that's what the heritage believed in. That's what they fought for. Yeah. So for people to kind of pick it up today and kind of say, man, you know, they want to fly the flag or they want to wear the rebel stuff. And it's like, you are, you are physically telling me by what you're wearing that you see me as, that you would like to have seen me as your slave, would like to have seen me as a second-class citizen. Even if you don't know what it means, it's better to educate yourself on what it is rather than fly it saying it's based on heritage. So if you understood to, what the heritage was, you wouldn't, unless you did believe it. Go ahead. So two-ish things on, on that. The first one, when you said like generations later, and you don't mm-hmm. understand how it like started becoming fantasized about mm-hmm. is because they didn't teach like the that generation wasn't taught what actually happened. Mm-hmm. They were taught they were taught the like the romanticized version of what it was like mm-hmm. being like documentary talked about how the daughters of, of the Confederacy started because they wanted like their dream of being like Southern bells and stuff was over. Yeah. And so that's why they didn't understand like they didn't get taught what it actually was. And so that's how it sort of created into is weird reconstruction from those 12 years from 1865 to 1877 Mm. were good Mm. but what happened was the education didn't follow Mm -hmm. and so it's almost like those 12 years were just erased to to, yeah to a a certain extent Mm -hmm. um and so that's to me how it it was fantasized about anyways and the second point about people today weren't like flying Confederate flag on their truck or whatever, that goes back to the whose responsibility is it to get educated mm. and why? Mm. Because if they don't know, so, so for me, which is different in your perspective on this, mm. but from my perspective on this, I'm just like, you're just ignorant. Like if you're wearing mm. that, mm. like you don't understand what it stands for, truly. Whereas for you, it, it, it hits a little bit closer to home. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's like, it's like, do we fault the person for really having, having no idea of, of what it stands for? Mm-hmm. And if so, why? Mm-hmm. Because is it their responsibility to get educated or is it, mm-hmm somebody else's responsibility to tell them what it is that's a good question i personally and this is i guess my perspective is accountability 
I would say it's their it's their responsibility. I agree. You because... know, like let's say let's say you put on a soccer jersey. Uh, I forget which team it was. There was actually discussion about this, but there was a, a soccer team that openly said that they did not want any any Jewish or Muslim people on the team. I, forget, I think it might have been Jewish or Muslim. Was it recently? Nah, this might have been. Oh, big. I was about to say. Uh... Um, but it was like the fact that you know the team was open. I think it was I think it's Muslim. I think they were a Christian. Christian or Jewish team that did not accept Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, so to think that, you know, let's say it's 2020 and I buy a jersey with like their star player who may have said the most outrageously, um, I don't even know what, what type of prejudice that would be against a religion, um, but like anti, anti-Islamic, anti you know, phrase and they're open and quoted for saying this and mm-hmm. I've got the jersey on and I'm speaking to someone who's of Islam faith. It would be problematic. Because they are aware of who the guy, especially if they're a soccer fan, they're aware of who this guy was, what the team believed in, um, and all of this. And my only reason for flying it was like, dude, my, my granddad used to be a fan of this, so I'm a fan. So you know what you're wearing, like, you're, like if you're going to wear it, at least be conscious of what, it, what the team was and what they played for or fought for. It's, I mean, that's a simple fact. You don't, you don't put on a Redskins jersey just because you have no clue who the Redskins are. You know, just because you like the team logo. I mean, granted, there are some people. I'm saying this, and reality is, there are some people who, who do just do it like that. So I was going to say, I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. But have you ever just looked at a shirt or a jersey in a store and been like, "Oh, that looks dope. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it," mm-hmm. without looking anything up? I only have like two jerseys. Um, I know, but for other people, like who are like big sports <laughs> I, fans, I'm, I'm going to pick on Sammy and Izzy right now. Mm. Yeah, they got boot jerseys. <laughs> because they have so many jerseys of, like, third kits of soccer teams that, like, Nike puts a really cool spin on them or, or whatever. And they're like, oh, that, that looks cool. I'm just going to get it. And I'm like, hey, who plays for that team? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, so should should they look it up if they're going to mm. do that? Yeah, I agree. Mm. Do they? Do they is the question. It's a different question. And then if they don't, so we still say that, okay, it's their responsibility to know that information because mm-hmm. they are sporting the uh, attire or logo or regalia of whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. But then what is the consequence for that? Mm-hmm. And that's where it shouldn't be, in my opinion anyways, it shouldn't be a legal consequence, but rather a societal consequence of saying, hey, mm-hmm. don't wear that because it stands mm-hmm. for such and such. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that... And that's going back to those three things. Where's the balance of that? I think that's another one of those things that the government should kind of stay out of because mm-hmm. it's like who decides what you can and can't wear. It, it shouldn't be a somebody writes this on a piece of paper, like you can't wear blank. Mm-hmm. Like that's to me, long term for the for like the long term success of a country or a stable society. That's not a good look to yeah. me, anyways. Because power so can I, switch hands, and then I mean right. the discussion there the, that we have today about the. Um, Supreme Court justices, you know, um, Democrats lowered the, the the votes you need to confirm one to fifty one. Um, you lose, you lose power, and now the other side can then just pump it as many judges as they want. And now the argument is, if the current justice gets confirmed, will you just up the numbers? Okay, well, ten years down the line, let's say you lose the majority again, and then they just pump the court because three or four of them have now passed away. Right. You're. It's. 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 I don't need that. That's yeah. And so that, but that for me is why you leaving, leaving that sort of stuff alone 
and just letting 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 time pass as it does and mm. letting like that sort of stuff like letting society as far as what's taboo and what's not and then what with the supreme court like the founders wrote it that way for a reason mm. it's like you don't just go change it because you are now in power or somebody's not in power or you want to you want to like speed this nomination through it's mm. like it was done it was done that way for a reason and to mess with it from a like a, a power perspective to me again like moving forward like for the long term like health and success of, of the country is not to me is not a good look it's like it's like absolute power corrupts absolutely absolutely yep. and so to let the people in charge the government mm-hmm. have the least amount of power to decide how you and i can live our lives Mm-hmm. moving forward is to me the optimal way to go mm-hmm. obviously they need some some power to do certain things right like uh build roads and, and fire departments and police departments and and like military for protection and things of that nature but as far as telling like you and i what we can and can't wear or say what to me that's none of their that's none of their concern that's up to the individual to educate themselves on it and if they don't up to their surrounding circle of friends or society to say hey don't do that because of xyz reasons and so the reason i think when we get into super long term discussions or like super long discussions about like what should be done about this and that i think that might also be i would say for example i would say hey who cares if, if they wear that? And you would say like, well, they shouldn't wear it because of X, Y, Z. And I'm like, I agree, but I don't think the government can tell them to not wear it. Exactly. Especially in a free, a free democracy as America. Um, and I think the fact that our country as a democracy in itself kind of plays a role in a lot of some of the societal things that we have wrong because you're going to have people who are not alike. It's not, it's not a, um, a strict controlled regime. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who's visited China before. Um, and when you try and you, you can't speak any dissent against the, the Chinese government for one, they have incredible surveillance. So if you're seen on video or you're heard in a, you know, if you're an important person and you're heard saying it, there's going to be repercussions. So there is no dissent against the Chinese government when you're there. So for, you know, they can do whatever they want. There's no problem. The citizens aren't going to say anything. But for here in America, if the, 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 the government does things that the people don't like, it becomes a, an issue. You know, look at, look at the issues of, of race today. Look at the issue of climate change. When the government is in control and they are just doing what they think either, you know, benefits them more than likely. Because there is no benefit to the people they represent, honestly, with a lot of decisions and stuff that they pass. Mm-hmm. So, and they say, you know, this is what people want. This is good for this is good for the country. But like three quarters of the country or two thirds of the country is like, no, we don't want this. This is harming us. But then the people in control continue to do that. It looks as if the system is messed up. It looks like the, well, not looks, it is at that point. It is. But so that's why they need the power, like, we need to start peeling back how much power they have because mm. right now they're not accountable to the people, which is who they're mm. supposed to be accountable for mm. or accountable to because we elect them to do. So like 
this is how it looks to me anyways, for why they set it up the way they did. It's like, because you wouldn't want in like a pure democracy when you can have like uh, pure majority rules, like you and I both know that if it was pure democracy, you have a bunch of people voting on stuff that they have no idea anything about mm-hmm. and that wouldn't be good either. And mm-hmm. so the idea was that you would have representatives qualified people that you can say that are supposed to act in the best interests of you and you elect them to do that because you agree with what they stand for or whatever and then if you don't like what they do then you vote them out and you vote somebody else in Mm -hmm. that and also it's like you're serving your constituents so now that that's not happening that's broken one but two the other thing that i think gets lost uh on a lot of people is I feel like it was set up in a way the the architecture of the government in like checks and balances and stuff was to protect the like the the rights of someone of us as people to say and do kind of what what we want and to let mm. society do the um like the third branch like the third um individual society government let society and the individual take the more take the responsibility because they knew that having government control those things isn't a good idea because to Mm. legislate something you have to define it Mm. and then to define it well who gets to define that thing who gets to define it whoever's in power whoever's in majority right and that's not that's not what you want so Mm. we weren't set up to be some perfect harmonious like society we were set up to be able to be free essentially and well that didn't work out for like black people in the beginning for obviously that's kind of what it was set up to do and so now once you get into like the issues that we have like that we were just talking about about you're wearing a a confederate or somebody's wearing a confederate flag it's like that's why for me i'm like they should be allowed to do that by law but morally it's not a good idea and like like we were talking about the first time it's like not all laws are moral and not all Mm. morals are laws and Mm. that's the reason why i i think anyways you have you you make a good point is and i guess that kind of goes back to the idea of what america is intended to be like in some countries you you know Think about, well, I won't say that, but again, going back to the China thing, let's say they were in the shoes of, of Germany. You couldn't go out and just wear some, some swastika. The government would then, re, it, would, it would act. Mm-hmm. So in America, you're free to do that. Will it look bad for you societally in your community trying to get a job? Yeah, but the law can't say you can't go and do that. You have to use your own judgment, even outside of morals, just outside of what the real world repercussions are going to be. The government, the government can do this. Job might not hire you. Your friends probably won't talk to you no more. You might, like these things will happen, and that's kind of been that's been delegated to the people of, you know, we we kind of decide what is societally right and leave it up to us. That's right. It. I think that's how it should be. I, yeah. I don't. Do you agree with that or? or... Yeah. I mean, so, I, I mean, the idea of what America was supposed to be like this. There's not been another society created the way America was create like the idea of what America was supposed to be like mm-hmm. the whole journey of what it was like there's a 95 thesis I think it is not the 95 thesis um I have to think about what it is um who wrote it you know 
I'm not sure. I have to, I have to do some Googling because I know there's a 95 Thesis by Martin Luther, and then there's yeah. I want to say it's Patrick Henry. Um, Federalist Papers? Federalist Papers, yes. Yeah, that was um, Madison and John Jay and Alexander yeah. Hamilton. Yeah, so reading <laughs> those is like getting what they wanted the country to try. Did you, did you read them? Not yet, no. I, I, I heard there's PDF versions. I need to print them out. I read them <laughs> because... Are they good? So, <laughs> backstory, when I was in high school... It was on the summer reading list. It was like a bunch of novels and stuff. And then the Federalist Papers were at the bottom. And like we were talking about earlier, I was a history nerd. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll read those. Mm. I was like, mm, I'm going to get the number wrong and somebody's going to at least a couple hundred. Mm. And I got through like- really the first, a book. It's a book at that point. Understand, see it? Oh yeah. The book I had was like this thick. Yeah. I got through like the first 60 of them. It was too and much. I was And I was 16 years old and I was like- <laughs> Yeah, but then I went back and, and read some of the other ones later, but like they talk That's about the institution of slavery in there mm-hmm. and they have a really odd view of it. I, mean, I know we've talked about it before, but it's like they, one of the things that stuck out to me was, um, and obviously some of them still own, some of the founding fathers still own slaves and, and were racist and, and the rest, but some were like, I don't know what to do about slavery. I don't like it, but if I release the slaves, my slaves now, or free them, I worry what will happen to them. As in, like they didn't want to free them all and then have them go get killed somewhere, or which still had ended up happening. <laughs> right, which ended up happening anyways. But but at the same point, it's like they were still conscious of of the fact that like somehow this needs to end in some way, and like they they were worried back then. I think. I forgot who it was. Somebody wrote that. I think the line was something of like, "I'm fearful that this won't get ended without without a civil war or something like that." And they said it back in like they knew, like they knew, man. It's like it's really wacky that because they are our age when they're writing all this stuff, you know. It's it's wacky that they knew, but they probably saw society. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, yeah. And that's one thing to you. It's, it's incredibly, it is incredibly difficult to really understand this country's history unless you do digging like that. You have to. Because if, if you want to know, if people, if you go down that journey of, you know, like there's the ideas of conspiracy theories today of going down the rabbit hole. You really want to know the truth, go down the rabbit hole of this, this country's history. Go back to the people who wanted it. What, what did they want it to look like? What did they, and specifically how you're saying, what did they think about the institution of slavery? What did people mm-hmm. think about how Reconstruction went across? How, yeah. Like if you, there's a rabbit hole. I think yeah. should be like they were writing in like, so the Federalist Papers were written, I think the Constitution was ratified in uh, 87, I think, or 89, mm-hmm. I think 1789. Mm-hmm. And so they're writing these papers while it's getting written. So in the 1780s, late 1780s, early 1790s, they're saying some of the some of the founding fathers are saying society is not ready to have all the slaves be released it's going to take a war to release it and they said it 80 years in advance like they knew and it's it's one of those things where like if you're sitting there back then and you're like i really don't like slavery but i can't really do anything about it because Mm -hmm. society as a whole isn't there yet Mm -hmm. It's like, 
So like, I, so like, I, yeah. So like, it's it's hard. It's hard to like lay, like, I don't know because every everybody, everybody is their own person, right? They have their own thoughts and opinions on on different things, and they have their own idea of what they want the country to look like. And so like, when you and like when you and I sit here and talk, and I'm like, I think it's gonna still take another generation or two to get to where like you really want to go. Mm-hmm. And well, and both of us, obviously, where both of us really want to go. It's like, well, why is that? Why, like, why can't that guy who's wearing a Confederate flag just like realize that that stands for what it stands for? It's like, well, because people are people. And at the end of the day, they either will or won't take the responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, like John, John Mulaney was like, it's so much easier to not do anything than to do something yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so it's like most people will just not do it Mm -hmm. and so it's going to take time it's like you can't that and that's and so going back to me saying that i would rather have society and the individual but have the responsibility of the education and not the government Mm -hmm. that's why i'm like we cannot legislate these things now like you can't like you can't write that into law because it's then then you have to say okay well who defines what that person needs to know to consider themselves educated or mm-hmm. whatever and then if you don't do that you can't make people do it mm-hmm. without societal pressure and i don't think we'll get the the societal pressure that is necessary to make people do that for another couple of generations because right now the pressure that we see is like the woke movement and then you have people on one side like the savior types that we were talking about before mm-hmm. which is to me just like mind-blowing in its own way um and like so on the other side then you have resistance to it because they see these savior types as like horrible people too Mm -hmm. and so then it's just like clashing Mm -hmm. and so you can't write it into one to law to say hey one side has to get has to get educated or think in this way because of kind of like what we talked about earlier and so then it's going to like, it's, it's just like, I feel like it's one of those things that's just, it's going to take time. And I think we're making progress now, definitely. But to write it into law is just like, to yeah. me, it's like, that's where I draw the line of like, nope, no, not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so like when we were, like when we were talking before about, um, oh, that's how we started the conversation. When, when Trump said he didn't want to do those like uh, man, uh, mandatory like diversity trainings, Mm. that was why I drew the line there. I, I'm still, I'm still in my, my boat on that just because that isn't necessarily something that forces people to do something that isn't. So actually rather, what, how come you think? So I can kind of figure out where I am. Cause I, me is just kind of as a black person. Yes. We all need to learn about this. So I think I would benefit from understanding your perspective. Why not? So I, so I think let's start with, do you want to like, do you want to say what you think that I think, and then I can tell you where you're wrong? I'll try. Go Um, for it. So from your perspective, is it more or less, well, see you, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of not in, in the group that I would consider people who would struggle with going to a diversity training. But from my perspective, there are people who do not want to be convicted um, by what they may learn, specifically either implicit bias or just understanding that if you go through an impl- implicit bias test, 
or understand diversity training, they may feel offended. They may feel attacked because they do some of the things that they say um, someone of prejudice does. Um, the fact that Trump of all people is the one who is who took it out of law, who took the requirement away, is he would benefit the most from having it. Granted, he probably would not stick through one because everything they say might be about him. He would be the one to benefit the most from it. So from my perspective is he's trying to, in a sense, save or assist the people who would be, mo- I wouldn't even say ridicule, literally be convicted. Like what's, been, what's being said, they would be the ones that's being talked about. And people see that as always a bad thing. It's, I don't want, they're, always, they're talking about me. I don't want to feel as if I'm being attacked by someone who thinks they know it all or something like that. That's why you think that I think that it's a bad idea? Yes. So, I, I, would, so I would say... For you, it's for the perspective of someone else. Go ahead. Sure. So I would say that I don't care whether or not people are offended by what they're learning there. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it, it, ha, it has nothing to do with the um the material of of what's there although i will say um some of the stuff like i saw one video on twitter where this lady was in like doing this training and she she literally stands up and she's like all white people are racist and they're just sitting there it's like "Mm, maybe but like also like how are you just gonna like on what grounds mm-hmm. but so if it's material like that then i have an issue with the, with the material but that's a different sort of mm-hmm. discussion so i would say it has less to do with the material and less to do with the people that are actually attending these trainings and more to do with the the, the fact that it's like once once the first one starts mm-hmm. and I, and i know i know people say this a version of this sort of argument it gets thrown out there kind of like with um, with taxes. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, the government's stealing your money, the government's involved, the government's this, government's that. So it kind of it kind of is like that, but it's mm-hmm. a little there's like a little tweak on it. And so I would say it's the it's the fact that once the government says that you have to uh, it's like imposing a, th- a thought onto, onto, onto an individual. Mm-hmm. And ideally what, so ideally what you'd have in that situation is you'd weed out the people who actually think those things based on conversations. And like, you know, that this person is in the, like in the hiring process and like you figure it out and then you don't mm-hmm. have to like, you just don't even hire them. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they have to change in order to get hired. What do you mean? Like, if I know that such and such person is racist and mm-hmm. nobody's going to hire them mm-hmm. to get a job, they have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's like societal influence that you would mm-hmm. want to make that change rather mm-hmm. than an, like a mandatory training from a government legislated uh, body saying mm-hmm. you have to think this way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes and no. My issue with that is I don't think it's there. For one, the people already hired. It's for government, it's for state, federal and state government staff. So if you work for any department like of health or department of labor, you would go through these trainings. Two, it's not, you so the thing about diversity training um, is it's not going to change the way you think. 
period. Like the idea that you going through this training is going to challenge the way you think it's not, it happens. I mean, universe. Well, then what's the point of doing it? I mean, cause there are some people who benefit from it at the end of the day, the, per- the issue, the thing about it is this is something that we talked about through the multicultural center was if you put on a training event or if you put on any type of roundtable discussion and you don't help, and if no one gets it, but one person, you've done your job. If no one leaves the room, if, if only one person leaves the room saying, you know what, I never saw these things that way. I'm glad I came to this. You've done your job. If out of a hundred people, that one person is the only one who says, thank you for putting this on. I did not see these things. You've opened my eyes to a new perspective of things I didn't even realize. It's mission complete. Because that one person can then go on to help more people. The idea of diversity training is simply there to try and assist people in understanding that their own implicit bias may then hinder their ability to have good relationships, actually try and assist people the correct way. It could even help in, you know, in corporate business, your implicit bias may lose you a deal. You may say a microaggression to someone who's trying to, to work with you as a client that offends them. You don't even know you've offended them. And then they say, you know what, I think I'm gonna take my business somewhere else. It assists, it only helps people to learn the information. If it's good, if it's good diversity training, that's the, that's the, that's the caveat. You said whether or not what the quality of it. So, so I agree. My issue is not with like, if, if somebody wants to come do diversity training at my company, like, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to be like, no, Mm -hmm. if it is in law that you have to do it, Mm -hmm. that's where it's like, because right now, why, why is it, why is it being, why is it being done? It's being done to protect against lawsuits. I don't think it is. You don't I, think so? No, no. Why? For, now, are you talking in terms of your company or in terms of the federal government? If, if it was, if, if a company did it, it would be to protect against a lawsuit. And so, in the, may, in the, maybe. I mean, think about it is, the, the idea of business is, it's beyond just like media. Um, businesses are international. They're multicultural. You may go to China and have to speak with someone over there. Getting diversity training just expands your knowledge about what other, like what it means to be in someone else's shoes, period. I can't tell you what it means to be in a Hispanic person's shoes about saying, you know, trying to say hola instead of hello when you're speaking to a Spanish person. As soon as you see they're Spanish, you assume that they know Spanish, so you say hola. Mm-hmm. That's very, very offensive to someone. Do I see it that way? No. Do I say it? I've been caught saying it myself, yes, to certain people, only if they said it to me or if I, you know, if I know they speak Spanish fluently. But if you go into a conversation like that, or if you get introduced to another Spanish person, or let's say I introduce you to someone who's Spanish, you know, and I say he's from, you know, Dominican Republic, and you say, oh, cool, I visited there, da, 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 da. And then you say something that's, you know, culturally appropriate, or you assume that he can speak this, or you assume he likes something like this, that could then immediately skew the relationship off the job. You know, your first impression is now, it's, it's not on the good, it's not on a good footing. And my idea for putting this in a corporate setting is simply that person may be, you know, let's say you're an investment company and you're seeking to try and get this brand sold to this one company. And that person is a person you're being from the company. You doing anything like that can then blow the entire deal. You know, you don't work, I don't think you work in marketing or sales, marketing or sales like that, but for portions of the company in that, in that, in that area, that can be the number one thing that makes a better salesman or a better marketing person from someone who isn't. If I've been quote unquote diversity training, because like I said, the quality of your diversity training does matter. But let's say you've been to plenty of diversity trainings across a broad spectrum of different cultures versus someone who's been in the game for 10 years in like, you know, South Carolina who's worked with the same company and only spoke with people within the, he's going to have trouble trying to speak with people who live in like 
Pakistan or who's someone who works in Vietnam because they don't understand what it means to talk to someone from that region. I agree. And so, and the issue, like you said, is only when you're forced to do it. That's, so, yeah, that's the problem. I'm good. Like, if if you're gonna come tell me, like, hey man, you should like be respectful of this, and like you should probably know that this person, like, this is a thing in this culture, or, like whatever. Like, I'm good with it, right? It it doesn't have to do with the. It's like. It doesn't have to do with what it is. It's it's like once you put it into law, it's like mm. okay, fine. Who defines what good diversity training is? Mm. Do you have to like write on like take a little quiz to say that mm. you are you are now a diverse, like minded individual? Mm. Like where where does that go? Mm. And so like people, and one of the things is like. even with you, mm. you're trying to convince me that it's a good thing. Mm. And I'm not, I'm, I agree with you. Mm. It's like, and an issue is being forced to go through the training. That's, that's right. right. That's, that's the thing. I, I guess my counter question to you would be, so if this was something that the owner of a company mandated and made it required because it's the private sector and it's his company. And you mm-hmm. No, is yep. that, would you be cool with that? Yeah. Cause it's his company. He can do whatever he wants. So and you choose because I can I can leave, mm-hmm. I can I can say I don't want to work here anymore. You you can if the thing about it is the thing about the training in Trump's law was it's only for federal and state employees. So technically, you could quit. You can leave that state or federal department. You don't have to stay. You get what I mean? Either- yeah, I mean if if that's the case, then then it's fine, right? But it's like as soon as it gets as soon as that goes, and then it's like now everyone ever has to do it. Think about, I mean, think about it. You can look at something here in Virginia. So on July 1st, state state uh, agencies can no longer test for um, THC in, on, in, um, drug, like on, on, on screenings for uh, jobs. Mm-hmm. The sector does not have to abide by that whatsoever. Right. If I go and apply to a state job down in Richmond, they can't necessarily test me, or excuse me, not for marijuana, excuse me. Um, I think it's the felony, the felony box. State, uh, state departments and state agencies, whatever you want to call them, they can't ask that on a job, federal application. Mm-hmm. Private companies still can. So regardless of what the state did, the state can create all of these mandates and all of these systems for state jobs because that is the domain that they own. The reason the private sector, and that's the way that this country was set up, the reason the private sector is they only have to abide by regulatory laws. That wasn't a regulatory law that was put in place. That was specifically for the construct of the federalism. Uh, maybe that's my misunderstanding then. What, what I read was that it was uh, put in place for that with the intention of becoming regulatory law. Oh, you can, I mean, because well. think about it, you can't regulate it. Like a private company, does, they can say they do it, but a diversity training may just be a PowerPoint or a TED talk. At the yeah. end, it all just depends on what the company sees as necessary. So yeah. like, internationally, globally minded, you know, sales or investing company they may put, you know, a quarter of a million dollars into diversity training. So that way their people are actually trained in it versus someone who really only deals with people who live in their state or within their, you know, let's say the East coast. Yeah. They need to spend that much money on diversity. So that was, that was my misunderstanding then. But even so the, like the point, so like if, if they want to like to make it mandatory for federal employees only, then like, it's fine. If they want to do that, that's fine. But the point, um, the principle though, of, of what I was saying still like, still stands as far as, um, legislating that sort of thing. Mm. Um, you're using, you're using people's perspective on what is and what isn't good. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that makes sense. It needs to be like a collective, like all of us think this is not good. Just like one person decided that it wasn't good and then wrote it down and now everybody has to do it. It's like mm-hmm. not not the, I don't know. Th- th- this like, like when I'm reading the Federalist Papers and reading reading the writings and like going through history and, and that sort of stuff, like in the way that I do, the more and more that I read, the more and more I'm, I'm, I would rather have the government have as little control as, as possible, um, over my life, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but I, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So, but yeah, diversity training as a whole, like as long, like we were saying, as long as it's done correctly, it's like definitely people could be, could benefit from that because. Mm-hmm true i'll say diversity training Mm -hmm. really only comes with exposure to other people Mm -hmm. like you have to spend time with those people and learn Mm -hmm. because even if it's like some like some guy coming in and saying like hey people from this culture don't like this and then Mm -hmm. you go like ask them and they're like where did he get that (laughs) like yeah like like to really to really have that happen and like it only comes from being exposed to people of the of those cultures and actually learning and talking to them saying like hey like sometimes people make mistakes, right? Like I all talk to somebody and I'll say something and I had no idea, but like then assuming you're friends with that person, you've already built a relationship and you know, and they know that you didn't mean it in the way that it is in their culture. They'll be like, Hey man, next time don't say that. And then, then it's like, okay, it's done. And you learn. Mm-hmm. And that's really the only way to get like true sort of diversity more uh, education, I, I guess you could say, like the diversity training is kind of like it's a poor substitute almost, but like definitely I still understand the benefits for it, um, and definitely think that people would benefit if they do certain things. But it all, it, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, we came on here to talk about the documentary, and we didn't even really talk about it. So let's talk about it. So it starts off uh, right after the Civil War. It talks about um, reconstruction from reconstruction and then into like eight, late 1890s, early 1900s. Um, and one of the things that really stood out to me was like Lincoln's plan for, so, uh, so a lot of the things that politicians in the Republican party did to me, at least they were still playing the political sort of game, mm-hmm. so to speak. They're like, Hey, like black people should be free, but we're going to let the Southern Democrats have this one point. And the thing that didn't make any sense to me, like we were talking about earlier, if it was treason, they would get the capital punishment. So why didn't that happen? And that's one thing that documentary didn't really go into much. And I don't really understand why, why, like, why it worked out the way it did, because you would think that so for the 12 years of reconstruction, none of those people were allowed back into power. But then there was a political, oh, 1877, Grant was out of office. Who was elected 1877? I, I think it wasn't a Grant. No, Grant. Grant Grant was like. He was just the executive. He couldn't get into. <laughs> I'm going to Google this. but I do know right after, I think it was after the, the Freedmen's Bureau ended or if it was right after um or white when reconstruction began it was like the same military generals and officials pretty much got seats and powers in the states that they represented they did and i didn't understand why that happened 
Oh, Rutherford. So Grant left in 1877 and Rutherford B. Hayes was elected. And I believe he was, see, this is what I don't understand. His, so it's Wikipedia, but the, like the second <laughs> sentence down says a lawyer and staunch abolitionists. He defended refugee slaves in court for years. So that's another thing that doesn't make any sense why it ended like that. Was it because they lost the, did they lose the majority in the house or something like that? I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and watch it specifically. Um, but kind of to the, to the tune of what you said, where some years go by and people forget what happened. Um, either the people were campaigning on certain promises um, or that, you know, they just garnered enough forgiveness from the people they represented back home. And they said, you know, we'll give them a second shot. Um, and then put them essentially back in power. My issue with that is simply the fact that they got back in power, period. Yeah, I, yeah, I, that was the thing. I, I don't, I, it never made sense to me how they got back in power from the standpoint of like this country or like these states just tried to commit treason and you didn't put them in jail. You let them go home. And gave them the land back. Gave them the land back, and then we're like, "Yeah, you keep just doing things as you were, no problem. You just can't own slaves." So they're like, "Oh, we know what you mean. We won't own slaves." Yeah. And it's like, "No jobs. The only job you can have is working on the slave same plantation you just were a slave on." Yeah, how how that happened is probably one of the biggest uh, blunders Fumble. blunders Fumble. I would say in yeah in in the U.S. history. Um, and think about that kind of set up the system of just kind of okay, cool, y'all y'all pardoned us, y'all forgave us for that. You know, what else can we keep doing that y'all forgive us for? Mm-hmm. Can we where can we keep you know pushing up to the line of okay, where can we what can we do without getting in trouble? You know, the 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 creation of the KKK and everything that they did, they they literally honestly they broke the law plenty of times, but in society's view and in government's view, they kind of played the terms of the line so often because of the people who for one who were involved. Um, and then just some people just turned a blot, like just turned the other cheek to it. They just yeah. said, oh, they're not messing with me. You know, it's black people anyways. You know, that's the perspective I can see people back then thinking of. They're just, they're just black folk. There's no. Yeah. You know, what was, what was interesting though, is so when Andrew Johnson gets into office after Lincoln mm-hmm. is assassinated and he goes super soft on, on, the southern states right kind of lets them get back in mm-hmm. one of the things the documentary said was like he had this like complex where he was a southern democrat but kind of couldn't not get yeah, yeah couldn't, couldn't get, get anywhere get and so like he was like i'll give you all pardons if you mm-hmm. come to me and beg for it basically like he had this weird like personality complex and like that's what kicked it off and the weird thing was about that was that happened but the i think the senate had enough majority to like over overrule and veto everything that mm-hmm. he was doing. And mm-hmm. so the Senate went hard on the Southern States at the same time that Johnson was going soft. Yeah. And so it looked like once Johnson was out of office, cause he didn't get reelected once mm-hmm. Grant was back in, it looked like things were going well and they, they were up until 1877. And then they, they lost the majority because the States in the South started running like um, the propaganda stuff and kkk was founded and all that stuff started happening and it was it was just like the government decided like yeah we don't want to put our troops down there anymore and like 
they just stopped. And then everything that had been fought for those 12 years just like went out the window. Yep. And that's so like when you I mean, think about it, I'll try and I'll try and kind of compare it to a modern day thing. Um, the issue was they didn't they didn't see it as important enough to keep funding each year. You know, the consensus of the legislators was, you know what, this just really isn't benefiting us to keep pouring this many millions or I think it was millions back in that day dollars into this. We're just going to pull its funding. Look at the same, look in modern terms for that same thing. Look at, look at healthcare nowadays. Look at the, the, the DACA, the DACA students, but the DACA kids. Oh, the dreamers, yeah. The dreamers, like the, the, the idea that we no longer want to continue funding this. So you, you pull the plug and it literally kind of just collapses a system that was then built upon, that has been built. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to support this, the, the, the immigrant children who are in this country was supported through dreamers. You pull the plug on that. Now they're in free fall of almost, well, do I get to stay here? Or does this happen? Think it's literally a, a, almost a mirror, not a, a one-to-one mirror, like I said. Um, it it's, doesn't, it's similar enough to make the comparison. To make the comparison. So it's like, this, is, this really isn't nothing. That's one thing with America is nothing, nothing's new under the sun, especially here in this country. If it's been done today, it's probably been done before in history where financial interests oversee the idea of actually trying to make sure that these people get reinstated into a country they help build, the success that they help build. We don't see it as important enough to, to fund making sure you guys get back in. So we're just going to, we're just not going to fund it. Yeah. It kind of opens the floodgates for everything else that you see continue moving forward. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that you, it's like a far or like long-term vision sort of solution that when you are, it's one of the issues, right? Because I think most people are in favor of term limits for Congress people, but at the same time, when you're in Congress for four years or six years in the Senate and you need to get reelected, you're not looking at a solution like, like that for a long-term societal solution. You're looking at the solution that'll get you reelected. Um, that's, that's, there's, a, there's a whole study on that about the number one interest of, you know, especially Congress. Cause there's, I think every two years, as soon as they get in, they're immediately thinking about reelection. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. So like the term, limits, track what, the term limits, what it'll do aside from the fact that it will stop people from being career politicians is after one or after like two terms, you can't be thinking about reelection anymore. So you have to be thinking about the long-term like sort of set up, like you would, you would need to set up your, your person, like whoever's going to in your party is going to be next with the best chance to win by doing like you would think would be smart long-term things, because if you don't and you set up your successor for failure, like they're not going to get elected. And then the way that the party system is run, it's like, well, that's not good because then you did your party a disservice. Um, but I, it's, it's weird. Cause it's like, I don't know. I, like they really dropped the ball, but it, it's like, I almost like you have to, you have to lay blame there, but at the same time, based on the situation that they were in like if you're in 1876 right and you're like wow we've we've come this far in these 10 years like maybe we can pull the plug now like it'll be okay it's like i will say like how would you know you like you wouldn't know like especially mm-hmm. if you're not living in those southern states like you don't, you don't know what's going on like you have no idea and because there's no internet or anything like that you're like wow we've come this far in 10 years like i think we can pull the funding now and put it somewhere else 
like I feel like that would be a reasonable thing for somebody to think then. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been kind of been a shortcoming of our country since then, as you could say, it's a short, short-term memory loss, quote unquote, in the, yeah. in the political perspective of, you know, we'll do things that previous politicians, previous presidents, previous people in government have said, we shouldn't do this, or, you know, this might, this doesn't turn out when we tried it before, so let's be cautious again. And I can only really kind of make that comparison to DACA now with this, but I don't know, there was nothing really beforehand because this is the first time that they've tried to do something like reconstruction. Um, but just the idea that, you know, something will happen in within a decade, let's say a decade or two, people just completely forget about it. I forget which president, I think it was um, Eisenhower. I want to say it was Eisenhower, I could be incorrect. It was in that, it was in that era who said- the Military industrial complex? Yeah. Yeah, that Eisen- is the, Eisenhower, yeah. yeah. And here we are, what, 30, not 30, like three, three, 70 years. 70 <laughs> he was years, president yeah. in the 50s. Like 50s, yeah, the 50s. I was going to say three generations, but I was like, okay, it might be two generations. Um, but here we are today, and that is the, that is the precipice of what our, our economy is based off of, is the mil- we sell military equipment around the world for our money, essentially. Um, and that kind of does put us into a, a position where we kind of have to continue. Um, it's funny because I had done a, I had done a, a research report on Syria um, and how some of the terrorist groups out there, the reasons the kind of the civil war went on so long is because um, we funded them. We benefited, but there are also, there are also, I don't even want to call them companies. Like there were just like terrorist groups that benefited off of all the violence and the chaos because they would get the arms mostly either from Russia or from either from us from stolen goods. Um, they would sell the sell that equipment and then continue to fund all of the stuff that went on. So it's mm-hmm. like when that type of environment and you know war zones are alive and active, there's a profit that can be made from yep. making sure it continues. You give one side bombs, they blow something up. You give another side bigger bombs, they attack. But it's just you can benefit off of playing both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. History has seen that. Amer- Again, our America's history. Has we, we, seen we did that, that in uh, we did that in Afghanistan in the mm-hmm. in the 1980s when Russia was there. We we funded the, we funded the Taliban and we we gave them weapons and then they turned yeah. around and then we were fighting them like 15 years later. It's uh, it's it's weird. It's like short sighted versus long sighted. It's like in in 1989 when or like the late 1980s when Russia was in Afghanistan, like it seems like the smart thing to do to give the people that are fighting against the Soviets help. Mm-hmm. Like through, through the cold war lens. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's it, like everywhere. it seems, it seems like it's the right thing to do. And then you turn around like hindsight's always twenty twenty, Right. And mm-hmm. it's so easy for us to be like, Oh, that was a horrible decision. Yeah. But like at the time, it's like not an easy decision at all. Like there's so like, I think some economists, I think maybe it was Thomas Sowell, was like, there's no solution. There's just no solutions. There's only trade-offs mm. or something like that. It's like one of those things, like history is not kind generally because we can always look back and be like, well, that was a dumb decision. <laughs> it's like, you know, but going back to, to reconstruction, one of the things that never gets taught is that thing in, um, well, first the New Orleans and Memphis massacres, but mm. then the thing in Wilmington and the thing in Wilmington was particularly alarming because uh, there was no federal government response to that. And that was, that would be something where I would 
like as I've been going on and on about government being out of people's business, that is one thing why they should absolutely have stepped in and they didn't. So basically to summarize it for those listening, um, there was basically after reconstruction and most of the black people who had been in uh, Senate or like, like their local uh, house of representatives or whatever had been kind of removed, but in Wilmington, they were still there. Uh, and so this white, elite population sort of decided that enough was enough and they went and basically just killed all the black people that were had any sort of influence and then they put it in the newspapers like they did this heroic thing and then nobody did anything about it um called it a race riot yeah they called it like a race riot or something that it clearly wasn't and what you said i don't actually don't know if we had started recording it but you said it was basically the only coup d'etat in u.s successful coup d'etat on u.s soil that was like in history and nobody did anything about it um that was one of the things that i was shocked by because i hadn't learned about that and and i was just i remember listening to it and i was like for real this like and then i i wasn't i was shocked from the standpoint of like i had never heard i had never heard about that before not so much like that it was allowed to happen because of Jim Crow and all the rest, but like, like that seems like a fairly big event. Um, and I had, I had never heard of it at all. And like, for me, that's a little bit, obviously I don't know everything about American history, but most big events I've at least heard of, I would think. Um, and so that's why this one particularly, like I was shocked and then I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know like I don't remember some of the background around it um, but yeah if you want to jump in with... I can see why you say it doesn't like it's it doesn't necessarily shock you because you can see stuff with like Tulsa and Oklahoma Black Wall Street and then yep. California where it's like this is not that's really nothing new um, most of the time it's like people just like white people just get fed up with seeing and then in both of these actually all three technically, but I'm specifically speaking for the idea of Black Wall Street and this is on the political side, you still have control. We don't like it. We'll kill you and take it back. On the financial side and where they try to create a whole sustainable society, a sustainable community where we are not dependent upon going into a restaurant where we can't be served. They, 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 and it's, it's the weirdest thing where it's like they actually did it. Most places try and it's either false or unsuccessfully, but they did it in Tulsa. And it all got like destroyed, like burned to the ground, not just, oh, we'll take over. No, we're getting rid of this. You can't have it. We're not going to have it. It's gone. Mm -hmm. And I think that was in like 1921. So that actually, I think was a little later. Yeah, it was a little later. Yeah. But just just the idea that things like that are permissible, you know, and that wasn't the federal government. It was people who just happened to live either in that same that same county or community or in surrounding counties and just say, you know what, we don't, we don't want this to continue happening. So we're going to go ahead and get rid of that. No federal government response, no state government response. In Tulsa, those, a lot of those pictures got put on postcards, you know, like, Hey, this just happened. We, we ran all the black people out of town. Funny, funny. Like, yeah. And they were proud of it. They would say like, Oh, we did like, we say like we saved the town or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It was, it was just, it's difficult to it's difficult because you you try you you hear all these stories told about the country of you know 
leading in all of these things and we're the, the international democracy for all these other countries where it's like we've got our own skeletons in closet that we've tried to put so much other other clothes in front of us if like they're not still there and i think having those like we can't actually get to be the country that we were envisioned to be without really discussing what we've been through um but i think that's kind of that's kind of characteristic of the country is just not talk about it you know we're even up until 2020 we're still trying to figure out things that had happened a hundred some years ago or even longer that have just not been talked about you know even within our lifetime there's probably going to be some type of, like even with our prep like this whole administration now i don't even want to think about what kind of nonsense we hear that happened moving forward in these couple of years someone finally breaks the silence saying yeah man we did all of this stuff these past you know these first two years of his administration you know like everything about the country has just been kind of all image we are this we are that don't worry about what we did don't worry about who we actually are we're this mm -hmm. that we you know we're gonna stand you can't be authentic you can't be the country that founders tried to actually envision this country to be unless you really talk about the issues that people matter, like people care about that and just <laughs> that, I think that and it well it goes back to to education like we were talking about at the beginning it's like mm -hmm you have to teach people what what actually happened and then mm -hmm. it's like we get back to well who defines what what gets taught and then then that's a whole nother uh a whole nother situation well, i feel like this is probably a good place to wrap it up i think we've been it's been like an hour 45 minutes man yeah. we've been crazy but we'd have like dinner and just chat we could sit there for like three hours. <laughs> yeah we would we would sit there for three hours but um we yeah well, like we said we'll put the link to the documentary uh in the description um yeah it was great we have time it's four hours four mm -hmm. parts i would 10 out of 10 11 out of 10 recommend watching it yeah 100 percent. in it's, any it's, type it's, of it's, thorough thorough gathering of information about for one a, a period and i've said because i i learned a lot i did not learn about any of those stuff in, in high school so it's a thorough thorough gathering of knowledge about a period that literally just gets glossed over. I know the name, did couldn't tell you anything about what happened before I watched this documentary. Definitely, definitely, like you said, definitely go watch it. Um, and we will see everybody next time. Bye, everybody. Peace out.